This is World Cafe. I'm Raina Duris. Think about everything that goes into a good joke. The timing, the delivery, the specific words you use. Those are things you might take for granted if you're telling a joke in your first language. But things get a bit trickier if you're trying to tell that joke in another language. Innuendo, double meanings, cultural context, subtlety, everything is different. The 1975's latest album is called Being Funny in a Foreign Language. And coming up today, frontman Maddie Healy talks about confusion, humor, and the way we communicate with each other in the internet age when it can feel like everyone is speaking a different language. He also gets into how the band made the new album, which was co-produced by Jack Antonoff, and shares live performances that were recorded at the Reading Festival back in August. We begin with a song from Being Funny in a Foreign Language, performed live by the 1975 Happiness on World Cafe.
Recorded live at Reading Festival back in August. That was the 1975 performing Happiness. It's a song from their new album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. And the 1975 frontman, Maddie Healy, is my guest today. Welcome to the Royal Cafe. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I love the sax in that song. I think it's quite unavoidable now across a lot of our songs. It's kind yeah. of one of our one of our go-to things. Yeah, I, I want to point out on the album version of Happiness, it starts with a sample from an interview that you did back in 2019. Um, and I have the original line here, and I'm just going to play it so people can hear it. First, I'm going to play a clip of Happiness from the album so you can hear where the sample is. And now here's a little clip of the audio of you talking. I'm happiest when I'm doing something that I know is good. That's happiness for me, mm-hmm. you know? DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ, has a credit on that track. I was them that put that sample in there. You didn't know it was you at first, is that right? No, not until we started playing with uh, Very Speed, which is what we tend to do. Like once we've uh, finished, like cut a track, we tend to... Um, speed it up and slow it down via very speed just to see whether it works better. And as we sped it up, it I was like, hold on, that's me talking. Maybe I wouldn't have got that far if I'd have thought that we were sampling me because that seems self quite self-indulgent. But um, yeah, it's just, it was something that happened. And then it was such a part of the song that I was so attached to. I, I, it, it kind of stayed in there. Yeah, I mean, knowing that it was your voice, did that change the significance of that that sample for you? Um, it yeah, I suppose so. It changes it changes the meaning, and I suppose it kind of reinforces the earnestness, which I think is the key word that I keep using to describe like this record. You know? Yeah, that interview was in 2019. So you would have been doing interviews for your 2018 album, A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships. So that sample kind of immediately connects this new album to the rest of your body of work. Um, But being funny in a foreign language was made differently than your last few. You set some rules when you were making this album uh, that sort of shaped the way you wrote and the sound of the record. What were those rules? Can you give us an overview? Yeah, it took a long time to figure out what they were because I think that the record almost seems uh, quite obvious um, in in the way that we would go from our last record because it's kind of I don't know like literally like anathema it's kind of totally opposite to the last one it's short and it's concise and it's all these things so you would assume that that was the first thing we thought but it really wasn't it took us a long time for us to kind of lose kind of lose our excitement for what we were doing and have to reinvent what we were doing and I think that maybe in because we've been quite journalistic in our work we've always kind of had quite a I don't know what to say good astute kind of cultural gauge and I think that we were just thinking well 10 years ago when we came out well what what were we doing that was particularly interesting and what we were doing was being part of this scene of young people who were making quite well-produced music at home on their laptops that was then going into like blog culture at the weekend and the 1975 and stuff like that. But now if you hear like a sound that's like, 
and it's from some 16 year old who made it on a laptop you're like yeah I, I i know you know Billie eilish has taken the kind of the bedroom producer scene and time and to its ultimate place where it's now kind of the mainstream thing so we were like well what can we do that other people can't do and that was have been in a band for 20 years and still only be like 31 and 32 33 um be able to write songs be able to go in a room and play them as a band that have been together for that long like i know it's a bit ironic but that's kind of it was kind of radical like because people aren't doing that some people would think oh you've been in a band together for for 20 years it might be hard to keep things fresh but it, Talk about how that gives you, that stability kind of gives you more creative freedom. Yeah, well, it's it, it's actually funny because every record we've made has been very, very different. First record to the second record kind of felt quite obvious to us. Like we, we had this vision and we knew where we were going. Second record to the third record was the same. It was difficult, but we knew where we were going. We knew where we were going with the fourth record. There was a time for the first time ever where we didn't know where we were going. We got lost and it was the first time in 20 years. And that was quite scary. But then that that elicited all these big conversations that, well, what is the 1975? Maybe what we've been doing without realizing it is taking what a band is as far as it can go. Okay, that's interesting. That's postmodern. That's cool. But is that what the 1975 is? And we kind of settled on the 1975 being... The, the music and the songs, you know? And so we really just like focused in on that. And then we had kind of produced the majority of our records ourselves. So when we started talking to Jack about making other people's records, Jack Antonov, who, who ended up co-producing the album, um, that relationship started by us just kind of producers to producers, me, George and Jack, just talking about making records, what records are being made and who wanted to work on what. And then we became really good friends really quickly. I think that like, me and Jack are quite similar, right? You put us in a room, we're either going to like curdle or we're kind of going to make a bit of a monster. And we kind of made a bit of a monster and it was George's job to kind of make sense of that, I think. And J Jack just had the kind of fun production job of just making uh, getting me as excited about you know the the things that I'm good at like trying to take the the insecurity away from some of my performance or my whatever you know could you point to a song on the album that was really transformed by Jack Antonoff's presence um part of the band probably is probably the best example because because it was like a demo that was like it was just like a, a straight up kind of almost like Brian Adams, like rock song, but it had this cadence. It was like, I was part of the air boy, part of the van. You know, and Jack was like, that's cool. That's really good. Like, don't worry about the music. Like, that's really, really good. She was part of the air force. I was part of the band. I always used to burst into my hand. My, my, my imagination. So I was like, okay, what's a good way of presenting that though? And then we got into these big conversations. We basically, like, I got on a piano and I was playing stuff and Jack got a cello out and George was, like, and George and Ross were playing around on like a bass. That song wouldn't have happened unless Jack had been like, hey, like, get over yourselves, like, just 
Like, just take the good bit and make it better, you know? And I was like, you know what, you're right. And I fell in love with a boy who was kind of lame. I was Rambo and he was Paul Verlaine. And my, my, my imagination. So many cringes and heroin binges. I was coming off the hinges, living on the fringes of Talk about the people, baby. So that's kind of the idea. So that was a bit of part of the band from the 1975, their new album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. Let's go back to uh, one of the songs from your 2018 album, A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships. You sent us a live performance of the song, Give Yourself a Try. Uh, and this was sort of a call out to millennials when we were slightly younger. A lot can change in those four years as you start your 30s. And, and you have a way of really time stamping your songs, like both personally and pop culturally. Do you ever wish you could update a song to be more reflective of your current self or are you happy leaving them kind of where they are no 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 because at least in my work like maybe not on like my statements and interviews or things i've said on social media but i've never like lied in my work like it's always something that i've like almost protected myself from because then i then i don't have to cringe at it it can just be my truth at a certain time give yourself a try i mean it changes all the time but give yourself a try is my favorite 1975 song um it's it is a, a strange time in your life th th that kind of transitional period but the reason that i don't retrospectively regret anything that i do is the same reason that i have the ability to document the time and myself at the same time my analogy is always people that actually pe journal most people that journal have been doing it since they were like 12 or 13 and it's ceremonial and they don't really know why they do it or it's a bit obsessive compulsive or if they don't do it, their day feels strange. So that's what the 1975 is for me. So it's not like we get together in a room every two years and meet up and shake hands and decide to write a record over every day. 1975 music because my guitar is there because i'm at george's house because it's what we do for fun it's not uh contrived in in any way um you know so which makes it kind of fun but then does make it strange because we're kind of always floating in space creatively and we don't have any grown-ups there or anybody to tell us what's going to sell or you know so and I, I mean, you talk about um, saying things to your younger self and give yourself a try. At this point, even to your 29-year-old self, is there something that you would want to say to them? Oh, I would never do that. I would never put the present on whatever shred of naivety I still had at that age. I would never do that. To, people say, what would you say to your 17-year-old self? I'd say nothing. I would say, just don't worry about that until you have to worry about that. 
I think that, you know, I don't know why I think, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Let's listen to the song. Here's Give Yourself a Try, performed by the 1975 for World Cafe. The 1975 performing their song, Give Yourself a Try, from their 2018 album, A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships for World Cafe. Today, my guest is Maddie Healy of the 1975. There's a line in there where you say, it's funny because you'll move somewhere sunny and get addicted to drugs. 
You've been off drugs since 2017. I know you've released three albums since then, so you're obviously still creating a ton. I talked to a lot of artists about this uh, sort of thing, but at the time, when you were getting clean, did you ever worry that you would lose some source of inspiration or creativity, like that muse people talk about? Yeah, no, because I go through phases. Like I get like different muses, like it's like a girlfriend or it's like smack or it's like whatever. Like I'm not, I didn't want to be defined by it. And I didn't want to make a post-drugs record. Like I didn't want to make a record where people are like, oh, it sucks now because he's clean. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'll clean up in my own time and I'll keep making records and I'll tell you about it through the records like when I want because to be honest with you it's not the most important thing in the world yeah it's, it's, it's only as significant as other kind of romantic relationships that I've had in my life which is a, which is how I would describe my relationship with heroin it's kind of like a romantic relationship that has a, a beginning and a peak and often an ending and then um, sometimes it Hopefully, if you have enough wisdom, you know not to go back to that place. I mean, that's kind of how you write about it in the song, It's Not Living If It's Not With You, which we're going to hear you perform in a minute. Kind of like a breakup song, you know? It is a breakup song. I mean, the smell of it is like the smell of an old girlfriend. Yeah. Like, literally, it's like, it, it's mad. But that's life. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's you know, it's a decision for something is a decision against something else always. So, you know. It's just life. We're going to hear the 1975 perform that song live right now. It's not living if it's not with you on World Cafe. We just keep getting better. It's mental. Yes. 
Live for World Cafe, a performance recorded at Reading Festival back in the summer. That was the 1975 with It's Not Living If It's Not With You, a song from their 2018 album, A Brief Inquiry Into Online Relationships. I'm Raina Duris, talking to 1975 frontman Maddie Healy. They have a new album out called Being Funny in a Foreign Language. There's a lot of jokes on this album. Like, it's it's a funny album. It's the quickest way to the truth, isn't it? You know, like some, there's something like makes you laugh. You don't really control that. Like the truth kind of controls that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, to be honest with you, like the only things that really, really turn me on are like great music slash art and like really funny. Like those are the two things that I kind of like pursue in my life for joy. What's the uh, funniest thing you've been into lately? Just out of curiosity. Well, my, my, I think that the Adam Friedland show um, is one of the, the, the funniest things around. I think that Nick Mullen and Adam Friedland are, are, are kind of, they're doing something almost like Kaufman, kind of like Sopranos-esque in comedy. And this is all being able to happen because of these subversive parts of the internet, like Patreon and Substack and stuff like that. But I'd say like the John Wilson and... and um, Nathan Fielder are in a place that I think that other people aren't quite, you know, like how to John Wilson, oh my God, yeah. the rehearsal and Nathan for you are, are what I think all great art should be like as funny as it is poetic, as it is savage, you know, as it is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it is, it does feel like, um, comedy, the lines between things that are comedy and things that are kind of like not, I don't know how to say, describe it, not drama, but like things that are not comedy. It seems to be blurring more and more now. When you're taken from comedy to reality, then back to comedy, then back to reality, that paradox is, is one of the most powerful things in the world. That's what truly transgressive art is. I've always been very interested in like the situation. I mean, that's kind of what my social media presence is like. People describe it it is like unhinged but i just think like what's the difference between like being famous and not being famous what's the difference between saying like what you want or creating a construct of who you are like i, I the other day i was just like calling out conservative commentators right-wing commentators who claim to be like super alpha males for physical fights yeah because i think that would be that would be funny and i think that would be art and I think if I lost, because there's so much talk, but there's not much like happening and like, I don't condone violence, but where are we going? You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm feeling quite mental 
creatively because I don't know where we are. Yeah. I don't know what this place is. I don't know what the, the 21st century has this inability to kind of define itself aesthetically, culturally, politically. And now I'm like going with it. I mean, I do like that your Twitter account is there's no profile picture and it says deleting one's <laughs> verified, which. Uh, yeah, that is happening as well. That yeah. is definitely happening. Um, but this this question is, is a hard question to answer. But I think about it a lot because the first tattoo I ever got when I was like in my early 20s was the word Internet on my ankle from a guy in a kitchen at three in the morning. The reason I got it was because I was like, what's something I will always love? I, th- I think that's cool. I think that's very cool. But carry on. And I, well, now, and I think about it now, I'm like, do I, do I love, I'm not going to get rid of the tattoo or anything, but do I love the internet? Is it good? Is it bad? It's obviously somewhere in between. In your opinion, what side does it lean to more? I think that the internet is good. I think that social media is a net negative. The release of the format of basically on Facebook, being able to put something out into the world and wait for a response that's ruined people's self-esteem. It's ruined people's mental health. Like that's not a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. So we've got into this kind of game, you know, because that's what Twitter is. It's a game for adults. It's you go on and you get as many hearts as possible by whatever those means are. And those means tend to be political opinions or comments on society or something like that. So it's, um, it's kind of trivial in, in that regard. But I think that, you know, this is what I was studying in 2018. I haven't studied enough. Just about this, like about the internet or just in general, you mean studying? I've been more into kind of like, what is love versus that? What is family versus that? Like, I haven't actually kept up on your kind of like your um, commentators, apart from like asking them out for physical fights. Like I haven't <laughs> really actually been kept out on kept up on what people are saying. Um, before we... Uh get into the last song there is one song that i think kind of ties into what we're talking about on the album uh called looking for somebody to love and it sounds like this big fun dancey song but when you listen to what you're saying there's a lyric a supreme gentleman with a gun in his hand looking for somebody to love and that line is a reference to elliot roger who's the sorority shooter nicknamed the supreme gentleman he called himself that he was in a bunch of online incel communities why did you want to write about Elliot Roger, why was that topic something that uh, you were interested in? Because I think that I wanted to um, talk about that issue, which is the issue of guns, which is the issue that it's an issue of America. As an English person, as and, and as kind of a man, and a man that's not effeminate, but definitely has the ability to be when he wants to be. Um, my relationship with masculinity is spoke to me and i think with that song well let's look at the second verse what does it say i want to show him he's a i want to him up good i want to smash the competition go and kill it like a man should you've got to show me how to push if you don't want a shove are the words of a young man already damned looking for somebody to love and i think what i'm saying there is that if the only vocabulary the only vocabulary that we give children young boys to assert themselves, which is a fine thing to do, which is a part of masculinity. The only vocabulary we give them is one of such violence and domination and destruction. And we're talking about root causes in lots of different places, but the truth is it's very, very easy to demonize some 
18-year-old kid who dresses up as the Joker and goes to a cinema and shoots a bunch of people. And we call them an incel and we say that they're evil or whatever. But it's young white boys that are doing it. It's not black boys. It's not Indian boys. It's not girls. It's young white, for whatever reason, politically disenfranchised young men. And they have no guidance, right? And that is obviously resulting in something quite bad. And I think that this whole record is a call for empathy. I mean, it starts with, I'm sorry if you're living in your 17. Like, empathy is required. Like, we need to empathize with people. We don't need to, we don't need to forgive murderers, but we need, to we need to understand that, like, Elliot Rogers wasn't born destined to murder a bunch of people. He was conditioned by whatever social circumstances he was in. We have a certain responsibility in that if we want to be a society. Mm -hmm. Nobody uh, is formed in a vacuum. No, exactly. We're going to hear just a little bit of that right now. We'll come back. Got a couple more questions for you. This is Looking for Somebody to Love. It is the Looking for somebody to love from the 1975, from their album Being Funny in a Foreign Language. I'm talking to Maddie Healy today on World Cafe. You, you've talked about uh, the importance of empathy and, and how you wanted this album to be uh, about, you know, love in the face of all these other things that are surrounding us, all the cynicism. Mm. Being sincere um, can be a lot harder than being ironic or, or not being sincere when you're writing partly because it can come off as corny or it can come off as cheesy. You do a very good job of not coming off as corny and cheesy. When you are writing with the band and you're working with a band, how do you make sure you stay on like the right side of that uh, cheesiness divide? I think it's a feel like, and also we always have a rule. Like if it makes, if anything makes anyone cringe, it's out and you don't have to explain it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, like 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 we like you said before, I literally have a song called Sincerity is Scary, you know, and we get into the kind of world of David Foster Wallace's point, which is always to say that, you know, to be truly sincere is hard, you know, to be goo prone and open and willing to make a mistake in the face of earnestness and sincerity. Like like that's difficult because no one wants to look like an idiot in front of them their friends. So it's so much easier to like make a joke. But not to repeat myself, but if you dethrone sincerity with irony, you will get an equal tyrant. And I think by the middle of the, by the beginning of the 21st century, we started to feel that. It's like, yeah, but where are the moral lessons in art? Where is the stuff that makes us cringe? 
Like I like the last bit of modern family where it gets a little bit cheesy because it's trying to tell you something about how you should live your life. And I think that's okay because I think there are things that are a bit more wholesome than just making a joke out of everything. But that's kind of why I make so many jokes because if you're always earnest, you get into this cycle of ever diminishing returns where if you're earnest all the time, you're the boy who cried wolf. So people don't take you that seriously. That's why I'm not earnest all the time. So when I say something real, people are a little bit like, okay, all right, I believe you, Mm -hmm. you know? The last song we're going to hear you perform today is called I'm in love with you. And I'm in love with you. Like that phrase is just about the most vulnerable, sincere phrase a person can say to another person, you know, if you, if you really mean it. You repeat that again and again. Before we hear this song, what can you tell us about I'm in love with you? I think it just gotten to the point where, like, I'd written songs that were funny, I'd written songs that were witty, and I think that every song that, that, that well, historically, when I've written, I have gotten very, whenever I've gotten close to sincerity, um, I've kind of tried to debase it a little bit. So, and the guys could feel me doing it when we were writing I'm in love with you. They could feel me trying to put a kind of a knot in there or something that was going to negate that open, simple sentiment that's harder for me because the guys were like, you don't need to matty this up to use a, to use a term, you know, like this, this, you don't need to be quippy, like just be like real. They're like, I want to hear a song called I'm in love with you. It doesn't need to be like all about vaccinista, barista, tote. You know, it doesn't need to be that kind of thing. It can be straight up. So we got to the point where the era of the record, we're like, okay, yeah, let's just do that. Let's just write songs that like mean what they are instead of like exploring what that is within it. I think it's a beautiful place to leave it. Let's hear I'm in Love With You, the 1975 live on World Cafe.
On World Cafe, you just heard the 1975 performing their song, I'm in Love With You, from their new album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. That was recording at the Reading Festival earlier this year. My guest today has been the 1975's Maddie Healy. Maddie, it's been such a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you. It feels very posh to be on NPR. Well, come back anytime. I feel like a grown-up. <laughs> I'm Raina Duris, back in a moment with more World Cafe.